1: Hunting. Nothing personal. Word of the day today is headhunting. If you were not watching baseball last night, you may have missed the Yankees play the Rays. That's the second place Yankees playing the first place Tampa Bay Rays. Yes, the team with the lowest payroll among the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball, if not the lowest, playing the Yankees, the big bad Yankees. Well, guess who's chasing who? Aretha, it's the Yankees chasing the Rays. Three-game series. Yankees had lost six in a row. Critical game. They lost Cole's game two nights ago. Last night, they had Tanaka going against former Marlins pitcher Trevor Richards. Game ends. Yankees win. The Yankees win. The Yankees win. Everything's fine. Look at the box score. Everything seems normal. But if you watch the game, it was not normal there was a benches clearing murmur. Can we say that? It wasn't a brawl. It wasn't a shoving match. It wasn't a lot of yelling. It was benches cleared at the end because so many Rays had been thrown at and Yankees had been hit. The Yankees and Rays have a history, which is amazing. To me, the Rays are like the little flea on the elephant. And once in a while, you can't imagine how a little flea could actually impact a big elephant. Or take a mosquito with a human being or a spider. When you have a mosquito bite, it's the end of the world. When you there's a mosquito buzzing in your ear, you lose your mind. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You can't think. Well, these rays, they know what they're doing. They know how to buzz around the Yankees. But towards the end of the ninth inning, Araldus Chapman threw a buck one. Hundred and one right over the pinch hitter's head, young player for the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Rays were not very happy about it. Kevin Cash got himself ejected, the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays. The Yankees thought that they had been hit earlier in the game purposefully, and there was a small brew, ha-ha. But after the game, that's when it got serious. Kevin Cash took the microphone maskless, and said
0: the following, it's, it's, it's poor, poor judgment, poor judgment, poor coaching. It's just poor teaching what they're doing and what they're allowing to do. The chirping from the dugout. I, I mean, somebody would have to tell me, go pull the numbers. Who's hit who more. Uh, but I can assure you, other than the three years ago, there hasn't been one pitch thrown with intent from any of our guys, Period. Somebody's got to be accountable. And the last thing I'll say on it is I got a whole damn stable full of guys that throw 98 miles an hour, period.
1: Holy schnikes. Did you hear how his soundbite ended? Last thing I'll say about it is I have a whole stable of guys who throw 98. That's called a threat. That's called a suspension for Kevin Cash. It is a guarantee that Major League Baseball will suspend Kevin Cash for those comments. Number one, forget the fact that we're in COVID where bench-clearing brouhaha's or any sort of time when teams are on the field together, not between the lines, that's going to be a problem. Secondly, they're trying to protect the health and safety of players. What Aroldis Chapman did throwing 101 at the Tampa Bay Rays' head, unacceptable. He's going to get suspended but Kevin Cash impugned Aaron Boone, Brian Cashman, the Steinbrenner family, every player on the Yankees. It was incredible. I haven't heard a soundbite like that in so long where a manager goes after a team in that way. He went after them as coaches, managers. Why? Because you know, from nothing personal, when there is a message to be sent from a pitcher to a batter, that comes from the dugout hard stop period. Often it comes from the front office to the dugout to the player. Aroldis Chapman doesn't throw over somebody's head or at somebody's head without being told. Players do not take it into their own hands. And Araldus Chapman has enough control that he's not going to do that. And it's dangerous. And Kevin Cash has had quite enough. It's not quite as unbalanced as you would think. The Yankees have hit 14 Rays over the last two years. The Rays have hit 11 Yankees. This year, the Rays have hit three Yankees, and the Yankees have hit five Rays. Kevin Cash said in that statement, it's been three years since there was a pitch thrown with intent. I love it. He admitted it. It's been two years, actually. It was 2018. But either way, what's cool is that you just heard a manager, you got a little bit behind the curtain. Just a tiny, tiny bit when you heard the manager say, yeah, there was intent, but not since two years ago. Well, he said three, but he meant two. But no, there's been intent since then. You know that. But in the emotion of the post game, Kevin Cash said something at the end that's going to cost him. And DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees, really Yankees MVP over the last two years, I would argue, said, we'll be ready tonight because tonight it is Jordan Montgomery for the Yankees going against Charlie Morton of the Rays. Big game to see who wins this series. Two out of three, the Yankees need this win. But it sounds as though that the Yankees are ready if the Rays throw at the Yankees. Does that mean there's going to be a brawl, a real brawl? Or are the Yankees just going to start hitting more Rays? Well, here's how I think this plays out on September 2nd, 2020. It doesn't happen often, but I believe the umpires need to warn both sides before the game starts, the significance of an umpire warning the bench during a game is when an umpire wards a bench and says, okay, the next player who's hit, I get to judge it. I'm the umpire. If I feel that
2: it's purposeful, the pitcher is out immediately. The manager is out immediately. If you warn before a game starts, That means that you don't have an opportunity, even if a pitch
1: gets away from you and you're Charlie Morton and it gets away from you, you are going to get ejected along with Kevin Cash. If Jordan Montgomery has a pitch that gets away from him, Aaron Boone is gone, along with Jordan Montgomery. Any of the 98 mile an hour bullpen arms that the Rays have. So when there is bad blood between teams, there have been times that we've called Joe Torrey. In the past, and said, Joe, there needs to be a warning, a pregame warning, because we're going to get hit. We would never call MLB for a pregame warning if we wanted to do the hitting, only if we thought that hitting was going to be done to us. When we knew we were throwing at somebody, obviously we're not going to warn MLB because we don't want to have an automatic ejection. I think MLB, especially during the time of COVID, steps up today. They warn the Yankees, the Rays, through the umpires. Chris Young, who runs Discipline for MLB, underneath Dan Hellman, Rob Manford. Chris Young will be on the phone to Brian Cashman. He'll be on the phone to the Rays, Matt Silverman. And he will say, listen, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. And the umpires will give a warning. That's some good sound, Coca from Kevin Cash. Does not happen every day. The AL East, well, good sound happens every day, by the way, because that's nothing personal. There's no limit but capturing Kevin Cash threatening? Hell yeah. AL East had some activity yesterday. On the field was good, but there was an off the field event that happened that I cannot let escape because it's too good. Yesterday afternoon, yesterday was the 1st of September, and yesterday afternoon, the Boston Red Sox official Twitter. So every team has an official Twitter account. That Twitter account is run by people in the social media department. Oftentimes they're young people in their twenties. They're in social media. Their background is social media. They may have a degree in social media. They're responsible to do videos on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and and Twitch and and uh, Twitter, etc. And so. They tweet the games, they tweet the lineups, they show video when there's a great win, when there's a bad loss. Sometimes they try to be funny. Sometimes they try to be creative. Sometimes it doesn't work. Yesterday, the Red Sox sent out a tweet and it was a mem. Did I get that right, Coca? Is it meme? Is it mem? It's meme, meme. Sorry. Thank you, Coca. Okay, boomer. So the Red Sox sent out a meme and it was of a keyboard, and there was a reset button. And the tweet said, you know, I-F-I-Y-K-Y-K. Y K. And it was a picture of the reset button, which means if you know, you know. I didn't realize what I-Y-K-Y-K y K meant until after, and then I was told If you know, you know with the reset button. What the hell are they talking about? People would look at that tweet and say, reset? What do they mean? Reset what? Are they trying to get a reset of the season? Is this a movie reference? Have they been on the bong pipe? Like, what's happening here? Oh, wait a minute. Is this September 1st? Oh, God. We got it. We got it. There's no way they're this clever. They didn't really send that tweet. Hurry up, Coca. Get it. Capture it take a screen grab. September 1st is the day that your luxury tax penalties reset in Major League Baseball. So the Boston Red Sox, if they were over the competitive balance tax limit, the luxury tax limit, they get taxed. And then if you're over it for a second year in a row, your tax is higher, third year higher. But if you spend a year below the luxury tax threshold, you then get to start the clock over again. It's called a reset. Is it possible the social media department was aware that yesterday was the day that the Red Sox luxury tax threshold was reset? The reason why they traded Mookie Betts and David Price? The reason why after winning four World Series, they decided, whoa, we're done We are not signing more players. Hard stop. We're going to be last place. We're going to be last place. We're going to be the Pirates. Fine. We'll take it. We've got four rings. Philadelphia Phillies did the same thing this year. We will not go over the luxury tax. Well, September 1 was the reset date. The Red Sox tweeted it out, and Twitter went crazy because they figured it out immediately. So what did the Red Sox do? What anybody would do in this situation
2: They deleted the tweets. Boo. You don't delete a tweet. You own it. If someone tweeted that and you're embarrassed by
1: it, your next tweet should be, we have fired the person who did it, which, by the way, they're going to. Instead, they deleted it and then posted another tweet, which said, you ever miss with a tweet? Question mark. Same Period as though that made up for it, what I don't get is there could be hundreds of thousands of people who see the new tweet, who never saw the deleted tweet, who don't even know what you're talking about, and then they're going to figure it out, as opposed to just retweet the tweet that you tweeted that you want to delete, so people don't have to go back and look to see if anyone on Twitter screen grabbed it, posted it, and then you can still see it, because we all know you can't actually delete a tweet. It's out there, no matter what, forever. So the Red Sox really missed but to me, the more interesting point, other than the fact that some poor 24-year-old is now collecting federal unemployment of 600 bucks a week, you don't really say that to your fan base. Fans don't care about owners losing money. I've been saying that for 20 years. Fans don't care. They want to win, and more than they want to win, they want to see owners spend money even if it costs them Even if it's a bad signing, they want to see a signing, then complain about it if the player stinks. They don't want to see trading away players ever. Sign every one of the players who you have drafted and developed. Trade for every one of the available players, then sign every possible free agent. Then your fan base is happy until you lose two out of three, and then your fan base is unhappy. Fans are emotional, they get unhappy. When you're running a team, you've got to make decisions that are prudent. I'd like to know about your business, about your job, whatever job you have, whatever store you work in, whatever business you own, whatever profession you have. I want to know
2: that if you are presented with two options, one, you play baseball You finish in last place and you don't have to write a $10 million check. Two, you don't know where you'll finish. You play baseball and you have to
1: write at least a $10 million check. What do you choose? Whatever business you work for, if you think that your boss is going to choose to lose $10 million, you're wrong. Wait a minute. We have an argument. The media has an argument. Let's say it. What is it? It's a billionaire owner. What's $10 million to a billionaire? Just spend it. You think it's okay to trade away Mookie Betts and David Price when all you had to do was write a $10 million check knowing that you were already spending $11 million on Rodney Castillo who's sitting in the minor leagues? I used to love it when media would say stuff like that. They're so good at SOPM. So good. That's spending other people's money, Coca. They love that. They're writing on behalf of fans. There's not one business owner who would lose an extra $10 million for no reason when it is very simple to save the $10 million. All you have to do is be under a ridiculously high threshold for one season. Yeah, you may finish in last place, but you've given your fans and your owners and your players four rings since 2004. Even if you've given him no rings, there is no team that should make the decision to get over the competitive balance tax number, which is why the union was so wrong and so weak to agree To those penalties because that is a salary cap. The union, you heard this all through the pandemic, they thought that sharing revenue that the owners wanted to do and splitting revenue was akin to a salary cap and the union didn't want to do a salary cap. Let me tell you something, Mr. Clark, you already do have a salary cap in baseball.
2: You just don't realize it or you didn't realize it. Why the media continues to make these arguments
1: Billionaires don't become billionaires by wasting money. Successful people become successful because they actually save money. They understand how to run businesses properly. Do you think when you go into a store that the placement of items is just happenstance when you can't find something or when there's certain things by the register, the impulse buy items, I like to call them, when you're checking out, of a grocery store, or you're at the counter of a Walgreens, wherever you are, and they have stuff right while you're waiting online. Have you ever noticed when you're online at Walgreens or Duane or CVS, you have to wind in and out and there's candy and there's all these little things you can quickly grab. It ain't toaster ovens they put there. It's little ditties. Another dollar here, another dollar there. Added up between every customer. That's called profit. If you happen to own any shares of stock in any companies, Why is it that you own shares of stock? Why do you buy stock in the market? Because you're trying to make money. You're trying to have that stock price go up. Do you know how that stock price goes up? People like you buying extra crap online, which leads to increased value of companies. It's just a frustrating thing, Coca. I don't understand, and I'll never understand the criticism. Owners want to get rings, of course. But... A W C that is a question at what cost? So the American league East has some serious stuff going on. What about the central? We talked about the central in a while. We have not talked about the Detroit tigers on this show. Is it possible that other than Miguel Cabrera, we haven't talked about the Detroit tigers at all. I don't know if that's true. Anyway, I got to mention something that happened here with the Detroit tigers yesterday. And it was interesting to me. I told you what happens at the deadline that we keep the manager informed, but the manager has the 25 guys he plays with. We try to tell the manager what's happening at the deadline. But the fact is, at the end of the deadline, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of back and forth calls, a lot of last minute trades. And you don't have time to update your friends and your family, your manager. You are just acting if you're the GM. You have got to get stuff done. And if something comes up at the last minute, you're going to do it and managers are then called by an AGM or by the GM. They go down to visit. If your team's at home, if your team's on the road, you call up your manager. The clubhouse guy always knows, and the traveling secretary always knows very quickly who's in, who's out, what extra lockers they need, what new numbers players want. Well, Ron Ron Gardenhire, is the manager of the Detroit Tigers. Long-time manager, phenomenal manager, very famous, very experienced. And he admitted something yesterday that you often don't get managers to admit because they often want to say they're in the loop even when they're not. They want everyone to feel like they're in the room where it happened. Well, Ron Gardenhire of the Tigers, he said yesterday that he admitted he had no idea that Cameron Mabin was going to be traded or was traded at the end of the deadline yesterday, or whenever the deadline was two days ago. I can't. It's today, Tuesday, so it was just yesterday then. At so yesterday afternoon. At today is Wednesday. Sorry, thank you, Coca. So Monday at four o'clock, Cameron Maben was traded from the Tigers to the Cubs. Cameron Maben's that thirty-three-year-old player. You may have heard of him. He's the guy who we got from Detroit actually back in two thousand seven. 2007 is when Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera, was traded to the Tigers and Cameron Maben came back to the Marlins. He never became the superstar that he was supposed to be, but here we are 13 years later. He's still in Major League Baseball. He is still on teams. He has become a great piece on a team. He can pinch hit. He can play all three outfield positions. And there was a reason why Cameron Mabin was wanted by teams who were going to be in the playoffs. He's one of those guys that is a very quiet ad. It gets no attention, but it really is phenomenal in terms of what he can do in October. So Ron Gardenhire said that he was upset he didn't know. He admitted he wasn't aware. But what he's not saying and what I'm going to say for him is that He's the type of player who Al Avila, the GM of the Tigers, needed to keep. Why wouldn't the Tigers be sellers at the deadline? Because the Tigers are above 500 with a chance to actually make the playoffs for the first time. I can't even remember the last time that Miguel Cabrera had the Tigers going. That was probably in Miguel's prime. My guess is it's been five years But I could be wrong, Coca. When were the Tigers? They were in the World Series. They lost. Miguel Cabrera has not won another one, even though he thought he'd win them every year after three when he won in his first year. But they never won one since. If they catch the Toronto Blue Jays for the second wild card or even the Yankees for the second wild card, they would be in the playoffs. And they have not been there since 2014. Thank you, Coca. They were swept by by the Orioles, Coca. Is that right? They were in the World Series one of those years with Miguel. Was that then before 2014? I cannot keep track at all. 2012, they were in the World Series. Okay. God, that's eight years ago. <sighs> in any case, I believe that the Tigers made a mistake. Not by not discussing this with Ron Gardenhire. I actually think the mistake is thinking that selling Mabin would make sense now. The Tigers do have the second best farm system in baseball, according to ranks that that people in baseball don 't pay attention to. but they do have a um, they have a good farm system so let 's say they got back a decent prospect for Mabin. that 's all you 're going to get back uh, so it's it 's interesting to me because I in no way believe that who they got back for Mabin will be better for the Tigers going forward than what Mabin would have been for these last 30 games. And that is the point. And that is why it is difficult for Gardenhire to stomach going into the clubhouse after the deadline when Cameron Mabin has packed his stuff and gone to Chicago. It's difficult. And I can respect that. So Ron Gardenhire, I'm rooting for you. Miguel, I'm rooting for you. Please. Are you going to catch the Yankees and Blue Jays? Would that not be epic? All right. When we come back in this show, we're going to get to – we may even get to a phone call. I think we may, but we've got a review coming up, and I'd like to say it's totally gnarly, but it may just be partially gnarly. We'll be right back.
3: Hey.
0: MyPatriotSupply.com.
2: Welcome back. I was all excited. I really was.
1: There was an opportunity to see a movie for twenty bucks. It had been promoted, prompted. It was going to be. It was going to be major. So I bought it. Bill and Ted faced the music. I don't know what I was thinking. Keanu Reeves, happy birthday, Keanu. He's 56 years old today. That's actually the point of reviewing this movie today. Keanu Reeves is not a young guy. He's turned into a major action star. Let me take that back. Cut that, Coca. Keanu Reeves is young. He looks young. He acts young. He's in great shape. He's totally awesome. He turned Lawrence Taylor today. Yet... When he was a teenager in his 20s, may have been in his 20s, it was 29 years ago, so I guess he was in his 20s, late 20s, there was a movie called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It starred Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, and it was about two young guys who basically were traveling through time and how much they screwed it up and who they got to meet and how funny their experiences were. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was a phenomenal movie from 1989, so that is 31 years ago. So Keanu was 25 years old. They then did a Bill and Ted 2, maybe probably a couple years later, trying to capitalize on Bill and Ted's one. It was fine. It was like their bogus journey or Bill and Ted's. I can't remember what it was called, but I saw it and it was fine. But then I figured that was the end of it because Keanu Reeves is not a kid anymore. And even though there is this ability to make Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Joe Pesci look young, like Martin Scorsese did in The Irishman, or to make people age backwards like we did in uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, like they did, I Wish It Were a Wee. Are you going to have Keanu Reeves at 56 be a teenager for a part three Bill and Ted, or are you going to have him be an adult as a part three acting like a teenager? How would it work? Well, I never thought that it could, nor did I think they'd try. And then I realized that Bill and Ted Face the Music was part three of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and it was coming out in 2020. So it did. Holy cow. They're older. Their antics aren't as funny. So they had to make them, they had to give them each Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves who reprise the roles. They each had daughters who then would travel through time with them. They went and they were trying to build the band. So they got Jimi Hendrix and Louis Louis Armstrong. It was so sort of disjointed, this movie. And they were trying so hard. They promoted on Twitter that it's the funniest film of the 2020. It may be the only comedy of 2020 that's been released. No, that's not true. I reviewed one yesterday that was way funnier. Was that yesterday? Did we review the binge yesterday, Coca with Vince Vaughn on Hulu? I Can't remember, but that was funnier. Palm Springs was way funnier. Drunk Parents was not funnier. That was yesterday. I guess the binge was last week sometime. But in any case, Bill and Ted's Face the music, it's a hard pass. Happy birthday, Keanu. I hope you have a great birthday. But I do not believe that Bill and Ted will ever get back together. You may have enjoyed all of the makeup that they put on you, all of the work they did to make you look young and then to make you look old. But when you looked at that script, there's only one thing you could have been thinking. cha All right,
2: Coca. You know what I
0: want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson.
1: Thank you. So you want to talk to Samson from the movie Half Baked? Get into my Instagram or Twitter at David P. Samson, D-A-V-I-D-P-S-A-M-S-O-N. You know where to find it. Tell your friends, follow, subscribe, download, rate, review. We'll have that mailbag bonus pod coming out at some point. Should come out this week. It's outstanding. Coming out Friday. I don't know if it's outstanding. There's no studio audience. The only reaction I got after Cocoa was, all right. Actually, I didn't even get a reaction out of Coca. It was just, okay. I liked it. Get into Apple. Write a review. Ask a question. Get into my DMs. Ask a question. Here we go for today. Hello, David. Exclamation point. As a NBA and MLB fan, I've always wondered if the title of injury-prone was partially not fair to certain players, but rather on the quality of the team's medical and training staff. It seems as though the teams with bad or cheap owners usually have many of the injury problems. Thank you for taking the time. Have a great day. I appreciate your question, and I take umbrage with your implication.
2: injuries to players have nothing to do with bad or cheap
1: owners, as you call them. Now you put bad and cheap in quotes. I don't know the definition of a bad owner. If an owner wins a World Series, how can an owner ever be considered bad? If an owner makes the playoffs 10 out of 13 years but wins no World Series, how could an owner ever be considered bad? If an owner spends money on free agents but the free agents suck and the team doesn't win, does that still make the owner bad? Cheap owners, there is no owner who's not cheap according to every fan base because there's always the next guy. Have you ever noticed – when you are a fan of a team, that every year, you got to have this guy. We got to get that guy. There's always a guy. Oh, you didn't get that guy. You're a cheap SOB. You didn't trade. He was available. You didn't trade for him. You cheapo. But this is new, this question. Oh, my hamstring. Ow. God damn it. Our owner is so cheap. Oh, I hurt my hammy. Ooh, ooh, i done steroids, so my shoulder and knees and elbows falling apart. God, that, that's a bad owner. Oh, God, I was out till 6 in the morning getting hammered, and I'm shocked that I can't walk today, but I tried to run, and therefore,
2: I strained my lat. God, my owner's bad. Come on, man. It is not cheap or bad that causes injuries.
1: Now, we would always blame the training staff. So you get rid of the training staff, you bring in new training staff. You find a new strength guy, get a different strength guy. You know we've talked about how you deal with injuries like that. We did this yesterday. We talked about it exactly with the Yankees and what Brian Cashman said about all the Yankees injuries. Could it be COVID? Could it be the training staff? It's definitely not the Steinbrenner family. And they're not bad. They're not cheap. The Tampa Bay Rays, they've got a small payroll with 10 injured pitchers. Ah, they're cheap because they're only willing to lose $30 million a year, not $60 million a year. But they're certainly not bad because with that payroll, they're in first place and they keep winning. You gave the example of the New Orleans Pelicans or the Chicago White Sox of the 2000s. Jerry Reinsdorf of the White Sox won a World Series in 2005 with the Chicago White Sox. That makes him not bad nor cheap. By definition, Jerry Reinsdorf, whether you love or hate the Bulls, when you've got six basketball rings, when you've got one baseball ring, end of story, done. You are not bad. You
2: are not cheap. You are in the Hall of Fame. Stop. My answer to your question is that injury-prone players have
1: nothing to do with owners. Now, as a GM or a team president, you got to make decisions on players who you believe are injury-prone, and those decisions are based on whether or not you are going to risk signing that player to a long-term deal. It has nothing to
2: do with the owner. Nothing personal, pick of the day. Did you guys take the Nuggets?
1: I hope you did. Because we're now 13-9 and nine for the nothing personal pick of the day. Nuggets in an unreal game seven. What a game, the end of that game. If you didn't watch the last 17 seconds, watch it right now. Nikola Jokic. I get... I'm so sorry, Coco. Did I have it right? In any case, he... Uh, it's Nick Koka's trying to spell it out for me. He's trying to say it for me. Can't say it. I can't hear it. It's Nikola Jokic. He hit a shot that was sort of half Connie Hawkins, half Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It had a tiny bit of Julius serving. It was simply perfect. Gave the Nuggets an 80 78 lead. Jazz, Donovan Mitchell, unbelievable series, unbelievable player. We talked about him and Murray yesterday of the Nuggets turns the ball over. The Nuggets can run out the clock. Instead, they go for a 401 one layup. They miss the layup. Jazz get the rebound. They go down. Pass to Mike Conley. Matt Conley for the win for three. In and out. Nuggets win 80-78. Nothing personal. Pick of the day. Hits. We're 13-9. Now, the wait to see I had yesterday did not hit. That was that whoever Scores the most points between Donovan Mitchell of the Jazz and Jamal Murray of the Nuggets, that team will win. Well, I got it wrong. You know, on Wait to Seize, that I come back and I tell you when it's going to be right and when it's wrong. Well, I got it wrong because Donovan Mitchell outscored Jamal Murray. And there you have it. End of game, end of season. The Jazz will be back. Okay.
2: What could be next?
1: We got a couple of things we can talk about here.
2: I have an idea.
1: Let me just see if I can... <clears throat> excuse me. Ready?
2: Hello? Yeah, yes, this is Kevin... Yes. Yes, this
1: is Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten. Uh, Who's this? Is this a
2: crank call? What? The White House? Crank call. What? What?
1: Mr. President? Miss, yes, yes, Mr. President, this is Kevin Warren. I'm so sorry. It wouldn't even occur to me that you would want to speak to me. What, 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 is it, there's a lot of stuff going on. No, but how are you doing? I have great concern. I, I agree with you. We want to be playing Big Ten football right now. And yes, we have a lawsuit going. Wait, Mr. President, what, why are you calling? What, you're, you're calling to ask me? to play okay but you know we had a whole committee of people who got together and and they advised our presence. the way it works here in the big 10 is that we have a committee of chancellors and presidents who represent each of the big 10 schools no y- yes mr president no i yes i know exactly who's in the big 10 you do want me to count it okay i yes Yes, I, that is crazy. I agree that there are 14 teams. No, no, I don't think that you should. No, there's no reason to put a bill forward to make it called the big 14. No, no, no. I think that we've got to focus on other things in the country right now, but no, we're okay being called the big 10. Yes. I know there's 14. Yes. No, no, I know. I do know that. But what I was saying is that we were advised that it wasn't safe to play. That's why. But there's been a lot of activity since then. And we, we've got a return to competition task force that we put together. No. Yes. Well. I'm very aware that many of the states in the Big Ten are swing states, of course. No, no. I understand that it's a reelection. Yes. And I know. I know. I know you're trailing, but I know that you could win. But yes. No, no. I can't do that. I've said that to you. No, no. You want me to? Yes, I can. So what I'm saying to you, Mr. President, is that if you want to get involved, I've got a very good suggestion. What I'd like to see is if we can maybe have federally mandated rules about mask wearing or just sort of some consistency, because the issue I'm having in the Big Ten is that we can't guarantee that every school is going to do the same thing. And so that's the biggest issue with our committee right now is that if we've got Michigan playing in Iowa, how do we know that Iowa has the, test, the same testing capabilities as they have on campus in Michigan? That's what I was trying to say. No, sir. Yeah. I, no, I don't need to speak to Dr. Fauci about that. No, no, I'm not saying that COVID is a big deal. No, no, I'm not being political about this. I'm saying that the big deal is that we've got to follow the advice of the doctors. Okay. Well, I don't really need to go through all the states of the Big Ten, Mr. President. I'm very aware. No, I know how important it is to you that football is played. But why aren't you calling? Have you spoken to Larry Scott yet? Can I conference in Larry Scott? Yeah, he's the commissioner of the Pac-12. Yes, the Pac-12. No, no, the Pac-12 is California. Oh, oh, you don't want to speak to him. Oh, because of this. Oh, I totally get why you're calling me now. But what, what can I tell people that I spoke to you? What, what? Oh, no, you're going to tell everyone. What are you going to say? Oh, I you don't know what you're going to say. But do you have a script prepared or because I need to call my presidents right now and chancellors and tell them that I spoke to the president with a capital T, stands for trouble. No, no, that's the music, man, I know. I know, I'm I'm focused, I'm focused. All right, here's what we'll do. If you would just get back to me, Mr. President, if you're gonna mandate something, or if you're gonna pass legislation that says that our presidents and chancellors don't have the power anymore to make the decision, but don't announce that we're close to a deal here, because we're not. No, no, I just told... Samson of nothing personal that his wait to see is going to win. Well, I, oh, you've never heard of that? Oh, it's this, it's this show. Yeah. It's, it's a show where every, every day for 45 minutes, they do a a wait to see where he predicts something. Except the difference is this guy, Samson, when he predicts something that doesn't come true, he actually will admit it. Right. No, I know that's, that's crazy talk. (laughs) I know it is. Yeah, but his way to see is that there's going to be no Big Ten football until Thanksgiving at least. Oh, I know. You want us to start this week? No, but we can't. I mean, we, we are, our guys aren't even practicing. No, we won't. We, we're on the one. We're not on the one. Wait, don't say we're on the one-yard line. That means we're, we're going to score. Oh, I know. No, I know you like scoring. I mean, scoring's good. I like scoring. Who doesn't want to score? Yes. No, I am currently solo. Okay. Mr. President, listen, I appreciate you. I really do. Do me a favor, though. Um, let's get everything together here because we do want to play football. And yes, tell Mr. Scott hello when you maybe call him. And, and I really appreciate taking the time. Okay. Y- yes. Yes.
2: No, no, it's football. Right. Okay. Thank you. I don't even know what to say. I'm not commenting on whether or not
1: President Trump should have called Kevin Warren. I'm not commenting on anything political, red versus blue, blue versus red. I'm just saying that everybody's busy, right? Kevin Warren's busy. We all have jobs. We're all busy. Is anyone busier than the President of the United States? Anyone? It was a politically motivated call. You know it as well as I do but it's amazing that some people have the time, I guess. That call actually happened. That's how I imagine it happened. There was a report of a phone call between Kevin Warren, the the commissioner of the Big Ten, and the president of the United States. I just made up what I think that call would have been like. But I can assure you, Kevin Warren hung up that phone and said, whoa, take that, Dana White. Okay, uh, to end today, we're going to talk about Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell stepped in it yesterday and uh, he had a way out and he didn't take it and I wanted him to. Roger Goodell gave a bunch of interviews, football starting, I think it's under two weeks Coke Is it like a week from this Saturday is week one? I think it could be under 15 days or a week from Sunday. I'm actually not positive when it starts, but I think it's very soon. And, uh, Week one is very soon, Coca's whispering. Thank you, Coca. Appreciate that. That's called VA, value added. So you know in football there's been a pretty big deal about which teams can have fans, which teams cannot have fans. Major League Baseball, we talked about nothing personal, said no teams will have fans. We are going to have a uniform reaction to this. Roger Goodell was doing a piecemeal allowing certain teams to do it, certain teams not to do it. And then he came up with a quote. When I told you that Roger Goodell was doing this piecemeal and I disagreed with it, I also said, hey, it's business, right? It makes sense to me. If you have a stadium and you have an owner who's willing to do it, you have a mayor, you have a governor, and you have a government that will allow fans, and you've got fans who are willing to pay and sit in the building, whether they're in pods, whether they're paying half price, full price, whether there's 5%, 10%, any percent above 0%, is, a, is better than nothing because you can cut your expenses for who takes care of the stadium by having people spread out. That really made no sense. Let me clarify that. If you can get enough ticket revenue to cover the expense of opening your ballpark to the public, you ought to open your ballpark to the public. But what I don't understand that Roger Goodell did yesterday is he had a quote, and his quote was, We don't see a competitive advantage for
2: teams with fans compared to teams without fans. Roger, why'd you do that? You're going to say to me that you did that because, in
1: your mind, you have got to make it okay for only a certain number of teams, like the Dallas Cowboys, to have fans while other teams cannot have any. You have to depoliticize the issue. And in order to convince the owners of the no fans that it's okay, you have to tell them that there's no competitive advantage. And you have to explain to them that the extra revenue that the teams with fans are getting, it's better for the industry. Even though that revenue is not what's being shared. It's just the national revenue. So teams that have local revenue will get to keep that revenue and have an advantage over teams who don't get the local revenue. But why would Roger Goodell try to sell that to his owners when there's not one owner who would agree? Of course, there's a competitive advantage to having fans, whether it's 5%, 10%, 20%, or 50%. That's the whole point of home field advantage. Other than sleeping in your own bed, where in football, they only travel the day before anyway. Other than sleeping in your own bed. The advantage is the fans. It gets players going. The excitement, the cheering, the booing. It's better than piped-in noise for the broadcast. It's real. Don't sell that to your owners. Just be honest about it. All you have to actually say is, we acknowledge there's a competitive advantage for teams who have fans. But during this era of pandemics,
2: We need to make sure that we take care of the bottom line. This is business. It's nothing personal.